This podcast of the Tailgate Society is sponsored by Revelton Distilling Company. When Rob and Christy Taylor started following the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in 2012, they fell in love with not only bourbon, but the entire distilling process. So they opened Revelton Distillery, where they offer a family of products including vodka, gin, whiskey, and Revelton Shine. Come visit the tasting room at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, or pick some up at your local Hy-Vee or Fairway grocery store. This podcast contains material that is intended for mature audiences and may not be suitable for all listeners. Enjoy. Would you like to sample some of my nuts? I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest screen bloody murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in to that original sin. So let's get rowdy and reckless. Let's get rowdy and reckless. Let's get rowdy and reckless. Just for that. Hello and welcome back to yet another edition of Old Man Strength, a podcast of the Tailgate Society and brought to you by Revelton Distilling Company. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing today? It's a glorious, glorious week. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we, we both have some some pretty awesome news that we're going to kind of get into. Um I'm really excited. I, you know, we, we've, we've had, um, I think, uh, a lot of change for both of us here recently. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I've been kind of writing a, a whirlwind of emotions for sure. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, it's been good. It, it's, it's a good thing, uh, and a good change and needed. And I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly okay diving into some some details and let's let's talk about it. Sweet, excellent. So, um we both uh uh have started um new jobs. We have. And we, <laughs> and we did not know that we were going to do it on the same day. That's no. No, no, that's that's pretty incredible how that worked out, honestly. Which I, I'm surprised to hear yours because, I mean, I was pretty vocal about some of the things that was happening and and how I was unhappy there at the end. But I hadn't heard that you were looking for something. So that's. Yeah, that's you know, little, that was a little surprising to me to hear that. You know, I wasn't looking. It was just sort of something that uh, that fell in my lap, to be honest. Um, you know, I mentioned on the Slack channel when I was talking about this, thinking about all of the jobs over my career, uh, next to, I don't know, maybe three of them, my entire career, maybe four of them were ones I outright applied for. Yeah. Um, most of them were ones that came to me through, you know, people come and, and coming to me to, to, 
to see if I'm interested or jobs I've gotten through connections or jobs I've gotten through, uh, you know, just sort of uh, accidental means. And, and this is one that I'm very excited for. And uh, it's some, some folks I'm really excited to work for and with, but uh, this was not necessarily one where I was just going out uh, applying blind or anything like that. Yeah, I, I sometimes thought there for a while that the only jobs I had, it seemed like I didn't get necessarily just going in on my own. They were jobs that somebody helped me get, or I knew somebody that knew somebody that got me in. You know what I mean? It was never just a cold, just a cold, gonna send in my resume pull at an interview and, and get the job of my own. Um, but these last few that I've gotten have all been just leaps of faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'd said that, I think, I think one thing, you know, there's the old saying, it's not what, you know, to, you know, um, <laughs> and I think there's an awful lot to that, but I think, you know, sometimes uh, just being able to sell yourself well in a resume and a cover letter and then in an interview, there's also something to be said for that. Well, if you ask Stacy, I didn't get my job at, <coughs> at uh, we'll just call it HB. That's <laughs> what we'll call it. Uh, HB, uh, I didn't get my job at HB until she uh, red checked my resume and corrected all the misspellings and grammar according to her uh so but yeah no it that was i i previously worked at wells fargo i worked at wells fargo for after i left my dad's store and dad's clothes mm -hmm. <coughs> i went to work for wells fargo in a uh in a uh help desk situation so and you know, met some super great friends that uh, I'm still really good friends with now. And I would not, I would not change that time at all. <clears throat> but um, I got that job through a temp agency. And it turns out that a buddy of mine had worked there and kind of put a word in for me with some of the guys to get hired on full time. So, um, but I remember being at that at Wells Fargo and it's, you know, gigantic company. There was probably seven or eight hundred people on the help desk. I used to joke with my former manager that like an entire bus people would have to crash and die for me to even have a shot of like promotion, right? Like, <laughs> and and honestly, how do you how do you stand out in a group of eight hundred people? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And the writing was just kind of on the wall there. And that was when I was kind of going through. Um. I, I just met Stacy. We had been married maybe a year and I was really starting to kind of come into my own of, of that whole process of I'm, I'm ready to better myself and I'm ready to, to, to take a different leap of faith and, and see what happens. And I applied on a whim for, for this job at HB um, in their IT department, got an interview uh, and kind of like what you said, I went in and sold myself. I knew what I could do and what I could bring to the table. And 
got hired on and really excelled there for over seven years. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, so definitely one of those deals where you you flip a switch and you start to believe in yourself and you take chances and you're not afraid to to take a leap. That's the big thing for me. Yeah, you know, in in some of my my career, I uh, you know I so I got into Best Buy headquarters kind of the same way th- as as you through uh, a temp agency, uh, not really knowing what was going to go on there, and and after I don't know nine months, maybe a year, then they said, "Hey, we really like you. How can we make you a full time employee?" And I said, "Make make me an offer." Going for well, I was going to take it because I <laughs> I knew the pain and the benefits <laughs> right. and everything would be better. Um, uh, and then you know my time at Best Buy. Uh, you know, I think about the job changes I had there. They were largely job changes that happened to me, not ones that I applied for by any means. Uh, there is one instance where I literally got to create my own job and my own team. I saw uh, a, a completely unmet need uh, that kind of got uh, unaccounted for in a reorganization. And so I put together the business case for it and I, I pitched it to um, uh, my boss and my director and my VP and, and said, hey, this is what's not getting done. And here are the people that aren't getting supported because of this. And they signed off on it. So I literally created my own job at one point, which was kind of cool. Um, and I did that until another reorg. And at that point, um, I, you know, I was given some options of what I wanted to do. And I said, I don't like any of those options. So I'm going to move on. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've multiple times in my career, I have quit a job without another prospect directly in front of me, which I think a lot of people would consider stupid. Um, and, and it it probably was stupid. Uh, you know, a couple of those times I had the benefit of, of having a spouse that, that was doing okay. And a couple of those times, uh, it was just because I thought I could get away with it. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes there's a little bit of luck, a little bit of skill, and, and a little bit of, of uh, man, who knows what, that go into to finding a new job. Yeah, I remember uh, after I took the job at HB, um, my good friend who was a manager at Wells Fargo, um, who, you know, is the one that joked that we'd have to have a big bus die before I... He, I remember, and I, and I admire him and uh, I look up to him and and he's a very good friend of mine now, but he said to me uh, how proud he was of me that I put myself out there um, and took a, and and took a chance of of going to a different company in a different environment. And not a lot of people would do that. And that meant a lot to me. And that really helped strengthen that I knew I was right. Mm -hmm. But it was funny, I, when I went to that job, to the new job, um, Wells Fargo Help Desk, you, I mean, you're constantly like pushed to take a call. It's all about, you know, call taking and wrap ups. If you've ever worked in a call center before, if anybody's ever worked in a call center before, 
you know, you, it's not like you just take a certain amount of work and then you work that for the day. I mean, it's, it's constant, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, pick up the phone, pick up the phone. So when I went to um, this new company, all of their tickets and so on came in, or all of their issues came in via the ticket system and you would just pull a ticket and work it and so on. And I remember uh, a guy, a guy I worked with, the, my phone rang and I went to go answer it and he goes, hey, feel the power of not having to answer that phone. <laughs> <laughs> you can let it go to voicemail right yeah in such a different environment i mean it was a smaller company uh you know it was breakfast they cooked breakfast every friday morning for everybody it was free soda and you know i mean i can remember one day the 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 head of the, the whole legal department was walking around with a cart with a portable radio and beer and everybody was having a beer on a thursday afternoon at two o'clock in the afternoon i mean and I was like, is this a test? Like, I, <laughs> you know, uh, there's no way. So, but I remember being so ingrained in that Wells Fargo environment of having to take a call, having to take a call that I would like do my work at this new job fairly quickly because it wasn't as fast paced. It wasn't as busy. And there'd be days I'd sit there and go, uh, I think I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> too easy but nobody's come to me and said anything to me so i guess it's okay <laughs> yeah you know um work styles of of businesses uh is something that's really gotten highlighted over the last two years because it seems like there's an awful like i think back the previous jobs where you know um I was accomplishing more than a lot of my peers, but because I didn't look busy, um, then I think, think, you know, my boss did not think that I was as busy because it was hard for him to wrap his mind. Sometimes, uh, sometimes for jobs, the difference between uh, results and output uh, aren't the same. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, if you look at like, like say for instance in yours tickets closed versus like actual items resolved because if 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 you had a chance to pick all of the easiest tickets you might close 100 tickets and right. someone else and someone else is closing 20 tickets but they're working on a lot more complex issues who's the one right. really making you know more of an impact um and i think sometimes it's hard for people to see that because so many jobs get reduced to numbers yeah well, yeah, that there's no doubt about that. And and what was nice about that, the culture there was really good. Um, it got pretty got pretty toxic at the end because mm -hmm. I think they moved away. A lot of the old management was no longer there. Mm -hmm. You could tell that there was a sweeping of the old guard there. Um, to the point where the manager that I had at the uh, um for the longest time uh, in marketing, she could see that the writing on the wall. Yeah. I mean, she, we'd have conversations about, you know, she knows she's not going to be there much longer because all everybody else that was in leadership positions had been replaced. Yeah. Um, and then that became kind of a toxic situation because then I think she became more worried about herself than she did the team and, and, and her, you know, yeah, not that you can entirely blame her, but it's certainly not helping anybody. Right. 
anybody it, else's it, career. Like if, it, if you're going to be yeah. stuck by, behind someone on the chopping block, uh, you still need help. You still need support. You still need someone to fight for you. And if the only thing right. they can do is, is fight for themselves, um, you know, it's, it's the whole, you know, secure your, your oxygen mask before helping others type of thing. Right. Um, Once she was gone, it, it was, it was a nightmare. It was, it was not good. I was, I was miserable all day long. Yeah. That gets to be, that gets to be hard. It, it, I don't know that I entirely agree with the statement, but it's pretty commonly said uh, you don't uh, leave jobs, you leave bosses. And, and I don't know that that's entirely true because I've had some great jobs that I have left or great bosses that I've left, even though the job was terrible or vice versa. So I think it, it, it can be, it can be both sides of the coin. I think ultimately it's, you know, what is fulfilling for me? Cause I can have the world's greatest boss and hate what I'm doing. And it might make me stick around six or eight months longer. Right. Uh, you know, but if I'm ultimately not being fulfilled, I mean, I think when, and I left Buffalo Wild Wings, um, I liked some of the people that I was working for, uh, <laughs> um, you know, in a company like that, you've got multiple bosses and, and multiple forms of, of leadership. And maybe some yeah. of those people you've lost faith in other people you haven't. Um, but the job had just turned into something that was sucking the life out of me. So even though I still keep in touch with those people to this day, like literally, you know, send text messages, all of that to this day to, to my old boss. Um, I, the job just did, I didn't have it in me anymore, but you know, and then there's others where uh, the most recent job I left, I, I liked who I was working for. Um, I enjoyed what I was doing. Just something better came around that kind of fell into my lap that I couldn't say no to. Yeah, that that happens too. I mean, I when I was at HB and in the IT department, I remember I I I'm good at IT stuff. I understand it. Um, I understand concepts and I and but it's not anything that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Right. And sometimes the thought of that. Remember, we had that conversation of uh, the the uh, imposter syndrome. Yeah. Like I was always afraid there was going to be something that would come in that I wouldn't know how to fix and everybody was going to figure out. Right. And that was a big anxiety thing. I mean, I can remember. And, and part of it too was, is I was sitting in a, <laughs> we used to have to make uh, I'll never forget this. We used to have to, to make uh, exchange accounts for email and create people's email accounts and active directory accounts. Sure, sure. And um, there was a guy that worked with me who did it as well. He was an older guy. He sometimes, I, I always said about that guy, they're pro- if I needed to know how to fix something, I would go to him because it's probably something he's fixed before, right? Sure. I would not ask him if it needed to be done in a timely manner. <laughs> right? like, um, and he was sometimes wasn't very thorough. And our boss came over to us one time and he, he called us both outside of our cubicles and in front of people was like, if I see one more fucking mistake or a misspelling or whatever, an active directory, I'm going to write you guys up. Uh-huh. And I said, uh, 
okay. And I thought, well, I know he's talking about this other guy. So the next day, I, I went over to him and I said, do you have a couple minutes? And he goes, yeah. I said, can we go in a, in a conference room? And we went in there and I said, I just want to make sure we're clear. You're telling me if I make another mistake that you're going to write me up. He's like, yep. I said, well, then you might as well pull out the fucking piece of paper and let me sign it right now because that's going to happen. Yeah. I, I can't work like that. Yeah. I said, he goes, well, I didn't really mean you. I was talking about the other guy. Well, then you should have <laughs> fucking called that guy in here. Yeah, exactly. I said, let me ask you something. Let me ask you a question, Josh. Yesterday, you sent me an email and asked me about a property called Promenade at Valley Creek. But what you really meant was Promenade at Valley Ridge. Now, was that a mistake or was that just sloppy work? <laughs> so, you know, I don't know what to tell you. And at that point, I was like, that's, you know, and... And I, he just would dump projects on me that I didn't wasn't entirely sure how to fix or do. And then when you go ask for for help, he would be like, "Well, you're on your own. I don't know. You got to you know figure it out." So I was in a meeting, learning how to program servers, or as I like to say, me thinking about sticking an ice pick in my eyeball. That's what I would think. <laughs> I was literally sitting there going, I do not want to learn this. And this is just another avenue of shit that's just going to give me anxiety that I'm not really sure how to do, and I'm going to be responsible for it. And I walked out of, a, out of the training room for lunch, and the head of marketing asked me, she goes, hey, Chris, you don't know anybody with an IT background that would be interested in a marketing job, do you? And I go, yeah, what about me? <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into that. But mm -hmm. it was, and I I loved it. I mean, I, I fell in love with marketing and, and, and the team that I worked with. I mean, it was hard, not going to lie. It was really hard moving over to that team because they were all women under the age of 30. Yep. that I worked with. Here I am, 44, 45 years old. Don't have any marketing experience. Um, but they were really, they were, I, I ended up really having a good working relationship with those girls. They helped me a lot. And I think I helped them a lot. It was a good fit. You know, I, you bring up something that I think is, is, um, I, kind of interesting is team dynamics you know when you talk about uh gender and age i think that's something that uh it, it's not it's not something that should just be overlooked right i think when we talk about diversity in the workplace i think we're talking about all kinds of diversity diversity of experience diversity of of race gender sexual orientation all of that because I think it eliminates kind of group think. I used to be on a team where there were four uh, uh, supervisors. I was one of the four supervisors. And we had taken this large pool of people and kind of given them all the same job. Uh, it, was, it was a mistake from the start because we took people that were specialists and tried to make them generalists, which, you know, all that means is there's people that were doing a job they loved Love. and now that job, you know, what they loved became a third of their job and they had to take on two thirds of other stuff. And it was a mistake from the get go, but they used to always talk about one of my employees because he was very introverted. So he wasn't terribly personable. 
I think they knew that that um uh, I think that you know they knew that he wasn't comfortable, you know, public speaking for sure, but they knew he just wasn't comfortable in a lot of face to face. But the job was looking at maps and planograms for retail and then determining what like visual merchandising pieces need to go to a store. So uh, I did not give a shit whether or not he was introverted or extroverted, but they kept on breaking. It's like every time we'd have to like go through staff reductions. Cause it was during a time where Best Buy was doing like staff reductions every, you know, two years or whatever. And like both times it come up and they would always nominate him to get let go. And I would always say, why? They're like, well, you know, he just, he seems uncomfortable and he doesn't make a really good relationship with a lot of other people. And I'm like, this job isn't about relationships. He's not supposed to be on the phone. He's not he's barely sending emails. He's looking at a map and determining what, what, what signs go into a store. What is going on? But the other three uh, supervisors and all of their employees all were basically around the same age group, similar life experiences, similar stories. And so this guy was, was an outcast for them. And I wanted to be like, that's exactly the type of guy we need on this. We need someone who's going to be doing something different because he was doing superior work. Like there was someone on someone else's team that was given an award for something that might, that, that um, my guy did every day. He sent it to me and he's like, why are they getting an award? I do this all the time. And I sent that to my boss who, you know, was in charge of all four supervisors. And I was like, what the hell is this about? And he finally addressed it in a meeting. But if you, if you're not careful about how you're making a team, certainly you want chemistry. And sometimes people confuse chemistry with all think the same. Right. Right. And so, and, and I don't think that that's fair. And so it can be intimidating going to a team where you have nothing in common and certainly Every employee employee engagement expert in the country will tell you that having a best friend at work is uh, one of the key pieces to employee engagement. Uh, but that doesn't mean you need to work with everyone who's just like you. Yeah, I, I'll give you a good example. There's a there's a girl that worked at uh, um, at uh, HB that if I wouldn't have worked in the marketing department, her and I probably would have zero to talk about and would have zero in common, mm -hmm. but we sat next to each other each day and we talked about politics or, uh, sci-fi stuff or just similar interests or whatever else to the point where I had not worked there for probably five or six months. And she texted me out of the blue one day to ask me some questions about uh, the Mandalorian and if I had watched the, the, the book of Boba Fett, <laughs> you know, but she's like, I don't know, 31 years old. Um, so, but we, we worked really well together. She helped me a lot, showed me a lot of stuff. Uh, she showed me, I showed her a lot of stuff and, and it's funny that you brought that up because today uh, in my training at my new job, we had to take a little diversity video. You have to watch some videos or whatever. And that was one of the things they talked about was having a diverse team of people of different ages and sex and orientation and race and how that can bring different 
perspectives and different ideas. Whereas when you're solving problems, there might be a different perspective coming from somebody. Yeah. And I had a meeting today with my new boss. And it, what's funny is, as I started yesterday and another guy started the same day, he's got the same job title and he's doing a different side of the business. And he's two years out of college. Yeah. And him and I have kind of bonded a little bit, just, you know, based on circumstance or whatever. But, you know, our boss brought us into a meeting to ask us questions on what we thought already. And it's the second day. And, you know, what do you think of this site? And what do you think we should do here? And I don't understand this. Do you guys understand this? Because I know you've worked with this before. And I remember leaving and thinking, I'm two days in and she's already valuing my opinion. Which is kind of, you know, odd. Right. So, right. So, but no, it, yeah, I, I, I think, um, I think people get surprised by by how much they actually have to learn from each other, rather yeah. than, you know, what I mean. Yep. Um, I, the other thing for me is that you know, to me. Uh, I think there's just kind of a, a, uh, a <laughs> it, I, I hate to oversimplify it, but the, the, the smarter, more clever employee is probably going to be the better employee and you get smarter, more clever by being exposed to a lot of different things. Like I almost hate to, to make it sound sinister, but like people that are able to manipulate situations, yeah. um, it's because they know people. Right. And you, the way they know people is by uh, getting to know a diverse group of, of, of people. Um, yeah. You know, I, I recently heard, I think it was, it was about Bill Gates that he said that he, he didn't mind hiring lazy people because lazy people are often the best at solving complex problems because they're motivated by how do I make this simple? Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> Which no, I mean, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Right. Work smarter, not harder, for sure. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? So, but it just, I, I, I told Stacey when I came home yesterday, I said, I just feel so much better. First of all, it's in office. So I have a place to go. I'm not stuck in the basement. That was really mentally exhausting for me. Um, and it's back downtown. It's in a nice, nice office. I'm just excited for, I'm excited for a lot of things that people probably would not be excited for. You know, you know, man, I, I get that. I did not get to work from home all of the pandemic. Um, and, but for me, I don't know that I would love working from home so much as that I would just love the convenience because I'm a single dad and what do I do if my kid is there or whatever. But I'm also someone that, you know, uh, during the pandemic, when everyone didn't know how a lockdown was going to work, and we felt like we all had to be indoors all the time, I, I certainly hated that. I, I, a friend of mine came to visit uh, me after my first day. Have have a uh, a, a shift beer with me. Have, have my first shift beer uh, with me because he, nice. yeah, because he he used to be a brewer. He's still in the brewing industry, but he's now working. Uh, as an as uh, a brewery advocate rather than uh, uh, at a brewery in particular, um, but uh, uh, he was talking about how like you know 
hell half the reason he was so excited to, to come join me for for that shift beer was that he just needed to get out of the house um so because you know a lot of what he does can be done from home and uh and i get that even though you know i'm kind of an ambivert but i also hate people i'm energized by interactions but i just hate people <laughs> um uh i think i couldn't manage uh just just doing my job from home um but you know i i think i've also just learned that i need a job that needs to be like uh physical and tactile and not not like a mindless physical job i mean occasionally something that can be fairly mindless but not just a mindless physical job but like a physical job that requires expertise i think is is where i i excel the best yeah I'm I in my interview process with this last job, um, the one thing that I have always prided myself on and I kind of talked a lot about was my ability to see a problem or have a problem and um, try to figure out a solution and fix it. Right. And self teach myself stuff. Mm -hmm. um, when when I was at dad's store and, uh, I, we had worked, uh, I was just doing selling computers and things like that. And we had a technician there that, that dad hired and turns out the guy had stole a bunch of stuff from us and we had to fire him. Yep. And I remember dad sitting, uh, in the office and he said, um, I don't know what to do. Should we close up or whatever? And I was like, you know what, dad, I'll just, I'll just go back there and figure it out. Like I've seen him do some stuff. I can, you know, I'll figure yeah. it out. And from that point on, I self-taught myself everything I know about it. Um, same thing with marketing. I self-taught myself pretty much everything. I mean, it wasn't like I had school training or whatever else. It was kind of baptism by fire uh, software that, that they had at, at HB that they needed somebody to figure out. I, you know, always joke and say I got tossed into the deep end of the pool and had to swim my way out. That's just <laughs> how I've always done it. So by pitching that to this company this last time, they were like, that's exactly what we want. We want somebody that can come in and can show us, but we can also mold into something as well. You know, and, and, and one of the guys said he had a great thing that he said, he goes, we would much rather find somebody that's a that's a that's a culture fit and we can teach them this side of the business than somebody that knows all about this business but isn't a good fit in this culture yeah and that that was that's what i wanted i i wanted something where it's a good culture and i enjoy going into work and i'm not miserable i will tell you i will never go work again for a big company ever i will i just won't do it yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I think about that often, right? Because I have worked for, uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies. I've, I've worked for, you know, some pretty successful companies, some pretty large companies. And I I've loved a lot of aspects of that. Uh, but yeah, smaller companies uh, culture does seem to be different. But, you know, I've worked for small companies with terrible cultures and large companies with, with decent cultures. Um. But I, you know, I want to be around people that 
make good decisions, right? Like so much of, of anybody's job, you can teach a monkey how to do. Um, uh, certainly so much of my job you can. And, and, you know, what I'm learning right now at the new place isn't, isn't, um, isn't how to do the job. Like there's nothing that I am, you know, I'm on day two. There's nothing that I am learning that I have not already done a billion times or don't know how to do, but what I'm, what I'm learning to do it is do it that company's way. Right. Yeah. Um, which is totally <clears throat> fine. I, I know that I'll be able to contribute to shaping what tomorrow's vision looks like, or, you know, I've even done that today. I got to, Hey, what if we tried it this way or, or, Hey, we've had an issue like, you know, you guys said you've had an issue like this. What if we did this? But at the same time, it's not, you know, there might be things that I do that they would cringe and, and that's fine. And we can figure that out as we go. Um, but, you know, they really just want someone who's going to be part of the team and make good decisions rather than uh, anything else. Now, luckily, I, I, I come with the skill set they're looking for, too. but. Um, yeah, I, so many, so many people, and I did this early in my career, get hung up on expertise when that's not really what makes someone a good employee necessarily. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think what makes a good employee is also a good environment. Yeah. Um, I, this last job that I had um, was with a big company. Um, I feel like I got sold, not necessarily what it was. Sure. Um, but I was, you know, I took it and, and I'm not going to lie. I was probably three or four weeks in and I, I told Stacy, I said, I kind of wish I didn't leave HB because I was at least comfortable. I, it, things were, were kind of miserable at the end, but I at least knew how to do the job. This yeah. isn't exactly what I signed up for, but I'm making the best of it. And then when they came down and sold part of the business and, and I, my job got shipped to a whole nother company. And I was just that, I was just like, you know what, this is not, this is not for me, but <clears throat> I was still the same. Like, I feel like I still have the same work ethic and whatever else, but my passion to want to do good work for them was empty because of the way that I was treated. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I had a, uh, a, a, a boss once that kind of tried to challenge some of the things that I was saying about like how employees were treated and they're like, do you really think that's going to make a difference? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you work here because you're treated poorly or because you feel like you're treated well? Like, I don't care if I hire like the world's best programmers if I treat them like shit, they're not going to program well. Um, right. And, and like, I, like, I, I don't understand why for some people there is uh, a disconnect or so many of these things that like, you know, I had a, I, when I was, a, when I was at Buffalo, I was, I did have a boss that did a lot of things I did not care for, like send out anonymous surveys and then figure out who answered uh, how and, and what, which is, you know, just, antithetical to the whole thing it breaks down trust or you know worried about how people talk about things or one thing that's been kind of a big one for me lately because i see some of my friends that work at companies and they post 
salaries for jobs when they are hiring new people. And that needs to be the norm. I don't understand why we don't allow or discourage, I guess, <laughs> uh, employees from talking about salary. I understand why, but to me, it's unethical. And to me, yeah. there's there's already an imbalance of power. First of all, I don't want to go through an interview process if you're not going to tell me what you're going to pay because I, you're wasting my time and I'm wasting your time. Right. But second of all, if you know what I'm worth, pay me what I'm worth. And don't just don't, don't just get me because I'm cheap. I'll decide, you know, if you want to offer me something cheap, but don't make it sound like it's the best you can do if you can do a lot more. And I think I think for a lot of places, the old school of business is to um, make employees think that they have it good when you know that you could make it better, but it's going to cost you money to make it better. So you're not going to do that. Uh, and it just misses out on how much more successful you are, how much better outcomes you have when you have people that are honestly uh, feel validated and valued and, and are honest, uh, being treated honestly and fairly. Yeah, that that's totally on board with with the way it should be. And I I studied a lot through these last interview processes about salary and whatever else. And it goes again to what I had said before. I was in a different position now. Like jokingly, when you said uh, they offered they were going to offer you the job and you were going to take whatever they were going to give you because yeah. You know, now that I'm 25, 26 year old Chris probably would have done that. 50 year old Chris, I'm in a different position where I'm going to hold out for what I think I'm worth. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to leave here. Right. I, I will wait for the right opportunity. And and more money doesn't necessarily mean that I, I'd be more happy. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, I I, I've previously I've previously not negotiated salary. I've negotiated on other things, and I've said from the get go, you know, uh, here's what I know that I'm worth. I don't think you're going to pay that, or maybe you are going to pay that, but don't pay me. Don't pay me that because I would rather have X, Y, and Z. I would rather have flexible work schedule. I'd rather have the right tools in my job. I take the money that you would pay me each week and invest that in better technology so that we can be a better company. So right. that you know so that you know a year down the road, not only can you pay me what I'm worth, but you can pay me what I'm worth because we're making better product. Not just don't you know do nothing with that. Don't make it any better. And then a year down the road I have to get paid what I'm worth, but I'm but we're still not making better product because we don't have the tools. So you know, when people talk about negotiation, it's not just about salary. If anything has taught these companies through the, the pandemic and COVID is, is that people can, can excel in different environments and not necessarily in the, the standard norm that you think that they have to. Right. Now, there's lots of people that can work from home and do their job and do it at a high level and still have different aspects of not having the typical work in the office eight to five, you know, clock in, have a half an hour lunch, what have you. You know, a lot of the things that drew me to 
HB that I worked at and this company that I work at now is, is the flexibility. I, I had a conversation uh, with my new boss today and I said, I said, you know, I, I, we've never really talked about what my hours are. I said, I'm happy to work with every, whatever hours you need me to. Um, but like this morning I came in at seven 30, I went to the gym, I take a shower. Uh, I can be here as early as seven 30 and work a half an hour lunch and, and maybe leave it for And she was like, you know what? I, I don't really even talk about hours. Yeah. You know, we're flexible here. You know, we all have families, we all have kids, you know, it, for me, she knows about the boys, you know, if you have to leave for an hour to go uh, take care of your boys or whatever, I'm assuming you're going to, whatever jobs that you have to do, you're going to hop on maybe later and do, or come in the next morning and make, and, and make sure the work's done. Um, as long as your work is done or whatever else, I'm not the person that's going to look at the clock and go, oh, it's, it's 3.30 and Chris is leaving. Those are the types of environments that people can thrive in as long as they're just, there's a give and take. And I tell the kids this all the time. You, you can't just take all the time, right? So if they're willing to do that for me, then I need to make sure that I'm earning that. Yeah. On the days that I am there, I'm working as hard as I can, that I am staying extra when I need to. If an email comes in at six o'clock at night and she wants me to answer a question, I should hop on and answer that email. Yeah, I mean, I think there's that. I, I think I think there are lines and, and boundaries that need to be be drawn. But but yeah, so like, you know, this was about a year, maybe two years ago. Um, I had this conversation with with someone else in the tailgate society, because I was talking about how businesses, every business is too worried about hours, hours, hours. And he's like, well, you know, my firm works in, in, in uh, billable hours. And I said, okay, so do you, do you quote that? Do you give them a price up front based off of billable hours? And he said, yes. I said, okay, so if you get that job done faster, uh, are you going to now charge them less? He said, no. I said, okay. So if you, if uh, you screw something up and you work, and you end up working a lot more hours or do you get to charge them more? I said, no. I said, okay, so what you're telling me is that you have a, an outcome and you've assigned a value to that outcome and sure you call it billable hours, but is it really billable hours or is it just saying, you know, this, the value we're assigning to this is X is X. If you're not going to chur- chur- uh, charge, you know, Y or Z, then really the value, what anyone has paid isn't worth their, it's not the hours they put in, it's it's what they achieved. And I think it's very hard for people like engineers, like lawyers, like, you know, that that work in these billable hours things to not understand. And then it gets translated down to some of these other, you know, smaller corporate things where people are always you know, oh, that employee isn't working hard enough. They're not working hard enough, working hard enough. And I'm like, well, that's a boss problem, not an employee problem. Yeah. Right. If 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 you haven't given clear expectations on what do you expect to get accomplished, then or if you haven't just given them enough to do, then you agreed to pay them a salary for a job to get done, but you haven't made it clear what you expected. So they're not really not living up to that. Right. I mean, I, I, I worked for, for two months on a project at Buffalo Wild Wings 
that uh, made it clear that there were things that I I needed to do the job. And until I got that, until I got those things, I couldn't move forward on the project. And I stated that up front. And so two months went by and it was, you haven't gotten anything done with this project. And I'm like, yep. And here's the email where I said, until I have this, I cannot move forward. Right. And they're like, well, what have you been doing? I've been like, everything I, 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 I can to move it forward. But since you don't respond to my emails every day saying, how, where are we at on, on this? Then no, I'm not going to just sit around and do busy work. So yeah, you're right. I am doing nothing at work and you're paying me for it. But the expectations have been clear. And that's what agreed, was agreed upon is you paid me to be a project manager and you didn't give me the things that we both agreed needed to get done before I could move forward with the project. That's not on me. You don't yeah. get, you don't get to be mad at me. And so sometimes what, what gets hard is these people that, because you get the opposite is, is when I was at Best Buy, there were so many people that would talk about like how many hours they were working, how many hours they were working, how many hours they were working. And I'm like, man, and that's all you got accomplished. Boy, you sure worked hard for no outcomes. <laughs> Like I, it, and so I, I, paying anyone, I think paying anyone hourly is pretty dumb. I think paying, I think, I think there's a decent amount of hourly jobs that could be salary. Um, you know, I think certainly, obviously, things like you know, service industry, retail, it's a little bit harder to do things like that, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I. So there are so many jobs where even when they are salary and people still worry about hours, I, I don't know how many salary jobs I had at Best Buy that, that still tracked hours. And I was like, what is the point? Yeah, we, we did that at HB. We, uh, we'd have to enter um, our weekly time card, right? even though I was on salary. Now, this last job that I was at, I, do, I did not have to do that. If, if I never if, turned in a time card, and unless my unless my objectives are widgets per hour, then what do you care how many hours I worked? Because that time card, maybe I do find 40 hours a day right. to do it, doesn't say I did my job well. Yeah. Meanwhile, my my teammate might have only worked 30 hours but he's way more valuable to the company. And you're going to tell him he's not working hard enough or working smart enough. I thought it's just so dumb. Yeah. I, we, I mean, we could go on forever and ever about some dumb things that, you know, you have to do to some of these jobs and, yeah. and requirements or whatever else. I, one for, for sure. I will tell you this. I, and I don't know that I've told this story before. But at Wells Fargo, when I worked at the help desk, every first Thursday of the month, Windows would launch an update, right? And would push patches to, to the machines, which caused a reboot. Well, you ever heard of a, a software called, this is, it's been nine years since I've worked there. I still remember the, the name of the software. It was called PointSec. Encryption, mobile encryption is what it was called. Encryption <laughs> for the mobile device. But some Yahoo higher up in Wells Fargo thought we should install this on every single machine. 
So, and you would only have to log into it when you'd power on your laptop or power on your computer. Well, at that time, the majority of people that worked at Wells Fargo didn't work from home. So how many of those people did you think rebooted their computer every day? Yeah. Zero. Yeah, exactly. So patch Thursday, we'd call it patch Thursday would come out. Updates would run. Systems would reboot. By 6.15 in the morning, there was 200 calls in queue. Because <laughs> nobody could remember what their PointSec password was. Yeah. And the procedure to, to reset your PointSec password was you'd have to have them hit the tab key like three times to get to this submenu and hit enter. And then, because you couldn't use your mouse, right? Because it was outside the <laughs> window. And then they would have to read you a code. And then you would read them a code back. They would type that code in, and then they could reset their password and then be on their way. Every month, the same, I mean, the, because they never rebooted that. So by the time the month would roll around, they didn't remember what they said that password to. Right. And somehow, Tim, they would they would get to the point where they would remember how to do the procedure and already have the code up for you, but they couldn't remember a simple password for that site. And I remember going into my boss's office one day and I go, hey, I want to know what fucking moron thought it would be a great idea to put mobile encryption on a bunch of machines that aren't mobile. That's what I want to know. <laughs> Oh, but I mean, it was just like, that's one of those deals where I'm sure there was a reason and I'm sure, you know, but it was a brutal existence of, of having to take those calls on that. You just knew that Thursday was going to be a nightmare when you came in and it was no fun. Yeah. You know, um, well, so we've, we spent a lot of time bitching about uh, things that are, are wrong in in uh the workplace um i want to take a few minutes here uh for kind of the rest of our time to talk about uh why we're excited about uh what what things are looking like for us now yeah for sure i i I know for me it's just the environment The, Mm -hmm. the the environment of somebody showing interest in what my ideas are and and what I bring to the table. Everybody wants to be loved and wanted, right? I mean, that's, that's basic human nature. Mm -hmm. Um, And to walk into an environment where um, people are excited that you're there, they're excited that you're going to be able to help, help them um, and bring something new to the table uh, is nice. And just, I'm excited to just be able to have coworkers that are friends again. You know what I mean? I mean, some of my great friends that I have are people that I've met that I've worked with that, you know, we tell stories and have good memories and, and, and things like that. That's what I'm excited about. Number one. What about you? Um, you know, I'm excited that, uh, uh, 
there's just so much about uh, this place that checks off boxes of if I could design a company that I want to work for. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I first got into brewing, uh, I really enjoyed the company I worked for, but I didn't really know what it is that I what I wanted or needed in brewing. You know what I mean? Because it was it was my first foray into into brewing. And then uh, the last place the, that I worked at, I, it was the right fit for me at the time. Right. It was the right fit for my needs. Um, but I was not dishonest with myself about the shortcomings of of the the tools the 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 resources the things that i would like to see a brewery invest in or be able to invest in uh the the growth strategy and the deliberate approach to being out in the market that this place has um and so you know if you would have asked me six months ago Tim, describe your ideal brewery. Um, this place is awfully close. And I think more than anything, um, you know, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, uh, I met this dude that worked in finance. Um, I, even at the time, he might have been at, at Wells Fargo, ironically, but he worked in finance and he was a home brewer. He was a friend of a guy that I worked with at, at Best Buy. Uh, good guy. We kind of hit it off. We knew we were homebrewers. And I watched him go do the American Brewers Guild Intensive Brewing Science and Engineering Program. And I watched him get jobs in the brewing industry. And, uh, you know, the whole time I kept on thinking, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that. And eventually I was like, well, then why don't you do it? If you watched him do that, you know, and so then I did that. And so then, then you know, for the last you know, but the better part of the last decade, we've been sitting there and watching each other in the same in the same career, um, admiring each other and 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 enjoying this, and and then watching him bring on people that I also respect and admire, and 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 uh, he's assembled this great team of of folks, and and uh, and so when this opportunity came up to work with this this guy who's been a, a very dear friend, and I don't just mean that in a professional sense, I mean like in a personal sense, like our families have hung out together. Uh, you know, we've we've had dinners and Fourth of July weekends and things like that together. So, um, uh, you know, a lot of mistakes at bachelor parties and things like that. But, uh, <laughs> um. And so the opportunity, you know, we've always kind of joked once I got into the industry, someday we're going to work together. Someday we're going to work together. And I say joke, not like, you know, we thought it was funny, but like, yeah, you know, it could happen. But, you know, it's rare that you make that happen where you get to work with a friend without starting your own brewery. And both of us were like, well, that would be a dumb idea. So um, I, so now I kind of get to 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 work at a place that I really respect and value with people that I really love and respect and value. And it's, uh, extremely rare. So, yeah. Sorry. I was muted. This, <laughs> all of a sudden my notifications are going off and I was trying to mute. I was going to so, say, I, I, yeah, sorry. I keep, I keep on hearing some, some dings. I know. It, you getting a bunch of emails there? I don't know what it is. It's Google Chrome and they're stupid. 
I've only turned them off a hundred times. Your silly. Uh, if is I only had up. some kind of a tech savvy person around here, <laughs> that's my problem. Oh, that's uh, funny. You know, I listening to what you're talking about. I it, I think what I was most excited about, honestly, for this company is, and I touched on a little bit about their culture, but just their overall attitude towards um how they help people their 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 core values were something that spoke to me they um they're in an industry that is into um protecting data Mm -hmm. and that's important to them and they've made a good investment excuse me they've made a huge investment in that and um I listened to a uh, to a speech by the CEO today in a video that I found, and the turnaround that this company has done, uh, all because they've invested in their employees and in good people, um, is just something that I was really looking for. Uh, and when you're in a good spot and you work for good people and you surround yourself with good people it's not really a job anymore. You know what I mean? Your passion then starts to come through and your excitement and and stuff like that. And I can't tell you how many times I heard today when people were showing us how to do things or whatever, they were, they were adamant. They were like, but listen, if you have a different idea and you want to run with something, let's run with it. You know, they weren't married to a process. They're open to completely different ideas and completely different stuff. And that was exciting to hear too. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. You know, so um, uh, one of the guys I get to work with uh, is uh, a guy that I hadn't really met before. I knew about him. We've been in the industry about the same time and and he was taking some time to, to show me uh, some stuff today and go through some things. And, you know, I told him, I'm like, just pretend like I'm an idiot and, and train me that way. I think that's the best way to make sure that you, neither of us are taking anything for granted. But then, you know, after we got done with the day, then we were sitting having a beer and he was just, you know, we're sitting there with the owners and they kind of both left. And he's like, you know, man, this is my favorite thing about this place is just like the culture and how we all get along and how, you know, nobody's leaving each other hanging. And uh, boy, that just made me know that I had made the right choice. You know, and and there's another one of my peers that um, I'm really I haven't been assigned to work with her yet, but I'm really, really uh, excited because I have met her before and I I have so many questions and so many things to learn uh, from her that uh, it just, you know, I, I I when you when you know of and about your peers and you get excited and, and you're humbled by them and sometimes that's kind of uh an amazing place to be too what really sold me was uh well i'll give you a good example that the culture here's a good example of the culture you walk through the the, the office is beautiful it's it's beautifully designed you go down into kind of the break room area and it's a big glass partitions. And on one side, as you're walking in, it says play hard. And inside there is a ping pong table, shuffleboard. And over to the right 
is a is a keg. <laughs> I was like, sign me up. No. But on the other side, when you're in the break room and you're walking back into the work area, it says work hard. Yeah. And it's just it's just a noble concept of, you know, they they understand that that balance. Um, and it's just unlike anything I've ever experienced. Uh, sometimes when you come from from those big, large corporations, which there's a place for those. And I'm and, you know, I don't mean to bash those. It's just. I've come to realize that's not for me. You know, when, when I was at, um, when I was at, at Best Buy, they had uh, foosball tables and, and, and pool tables and all that down in the area. And my boss and I, uh, when we, we'd have a weekly one-on-one, where we talked through what was going on, but we didn't do it in the conference room. We went down and we played pool and we had a, uh, a one-on-one or we went across the street to the bowling alley. We went bowling and, and, and had our one-on-one that way. And it was great. And then I, then I got to Buffalo Wild Wings whose motto was wings, beer, sports. And they did not like casual dress and they did not like people like playing games on the clock. And, you know, my boss was frustrated when I, had one of my monitors with NCAA basketball tournament going on and another one working on the spreadsheet I was working on. I'm like, this is literally who we are. What is going on? Right. Right. Like I don't. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think a company is only as good as its culture and it doesn't matter if it's big or small. I think if you have the right leadership that can prevent, not prevent, present, that vision for what uh, a culture should be Um, because so many places like to say culture comes from the bottom up, but it can't come from the bottom up unless you have a top down embracing of whatever uh, the employees have. And you really have to set a vision, right? Yeah. 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 It's up to your employees to get to ultimately get along and, and, kind of establish things but unless you give them the freedom to to do that uh you're never going to have a real culture and and that was the thing that felt so backwards is that the best the best buy culture uh <laughs> <laughs> backward it seemed better than than the and wings beer sports culture for those things which is crazy yeah. crazy for sure yeah oh well listen on a side note, I have a week and a half before Lent's over. I can have a drink again. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. How's that been going? Uh, it's been rough. Not going to lie. I, I that It's supposed to be rough. I haven't. I, I'm not a huge drinker anyways, but I've, I've never noticed before how many opportunities there are where I'd be like, I wouldn't mind having a drink tonight. Right. Whether going out with friends or get home from work or tonight you know with the podcast or right or what yeah, just you know, yeah, or not, I not, a bunch of projects over the weekend and sunday afternoon i was finally all done and i just was like i kind of would like to just sit you know out on the deck and have a drink but so it's it's been rough and I'm, I'm guessing saturday I, I gotta find. I think. I think Good Friday is when Lent ends. I I gotta find out because I think I, 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 
I don't remember, man. I grew up Methodist. We didn't really kind of practice that. You're the good Catholic boy. You're supposed to understand exactly how that works. Wait. Thursday, April 14th is when so Monday, Thursday is. Yes. Is, okay. So, yes. So good Friday. I can start drinking. You know, I, I grew up next to Catholics that, that, uh, you know, would have fish on Fridays and things like that. And, and I didn't fully understand it, you know, but they would always tell me, Oh, I can't do that because of Lent. And I would be like, okay, I don't know what that means. Because like in a, in a Methodist church, we're just like, you know what, show up on Palm Sunday, we'll give you a, a palm frond. And <laughs> like, it was just a very, you know, I would think it was in college before I saw people get, you know, literally the, the ash cross on the forehead because even like it just it wasn't a thing so i think um, that was the first time i probably noticed it too was in college yeah so i don't i do not understand uh lent or easter entirely from my a tradition sense i mean obviously i understand what easter is all about um i do not understand it from kind of a, a tradition and ceremony um so i have literally never in my life given up anything for lent um, and I have to feel like if I did give up something for Lent, it would be something where I would be cheating because I wouldn't, uh, give up anything that I was truly going to miss. <laughs> so I guess bravo to you for, for sticking through this. Um, um, but yes, I also can imagine that again, not that you need to, to, to go out and drink all the time, but man sitting and having this podcast well, with you with the last doctor. drink the last drink that i had was at revelton mm -hmm. uh our live episode uh since then i have uh I i've bought three packs of uh crown royal mixing they have this new mixer that has like crown and cola peach and tea it's so it's a whiskey mixer already, already pre-mixed. It's a four yep. pack. Yep. Uh, so I bought three of those. I bought, <laughs> you are so going to shoot me. I bought the pack of hard Mountain Dew. I, I, I got to admit, I'm curious. So, um, uh, yeah. That's in the fridge upstairs. Um, uh, but my nephew is, uh, is helping me with some of these tables I'm making. He's the one that's cutting all the plexiglass. Sure. And uh, I bought him a bottle of Revelton um, and a bottle of uh, Cody Road sure. uh, to help me. And I took him over to his house. Uh, the Cody Road was peach, by the way. <laughs> uh, I took him took him over to his house and I grabbed the sack and I took it in. I was talking to him and said, well, here, I, this is what I got you. And I pulled out. So it was a, it was a plastic bag and it had the two liquor bottles in, the, in each separate paper bag. I pull out the Revelton and the paper sack is like soaked with something. And I was like, what is this? And I pulled out the Revelton bottle. I said, is this leaking? And I'm checking it. No leak, no leak. I looked inside. The bag had fell in, in the car and the Cody Road had broken open. So a whole bottle of whiskey was wasted. And I was in Stacy's Traverse and the car still smells like peach whiskey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say if it's Pete's whiskey, I don't know that the entire bottle was wasted, but uh, what? <laughs> f 
flavored. I man, I can't get down on flavored whiskeys. I just can't. I, you know, if you're going to use them in a cocktail, maybe I get it, but then use some other type of natural flavoring. But if you're going to take something like whiskey and then use artificial flavoring, and I'm sorry, it is artificial flavoring. It is a propylene glycol based flavoring. Um, if you're going to do that, it's it's fine. It has its place. Everyone should drink what they like. I say this all the time. Drink what you like, but that doesn't mean I have to like what you drink. Uh, <laughs> and and I'm sorry, and all of a sudden we have elitist Tim on the podcast. <laughs> hey, hey, no, no. Drink listeners, I'd like to introduce you to the bitter units version of Tim. <laughs> <laughs> drink, drink, drink what you like, but peach whiskey. I'm sorry, it screams like 15-year-old who's first learning how to drink. I, I really, I really, really think gonna, are you, you're insulting me now. Yeah, so that so it's it's like every <laughs> other episode of Old Man's Drink. <laughs> oh uh, no. What can I say? I I stay away from flavored vodka. How about that? I don't drink that. You know what, what's ironic about that? I don't have as much of a problem with flavored vodka because vodka in and of itself, if you make it right, shouldn't taste like anything. Uh, so it becomes the perfect substrate <laughs> for flavors. Whereas whiskey, I want to taste the whiskey, not the thing that isn't the whiskey. So fireball, you won't, you won't, you, you, you're not a big fan of fireball. I don't have a problem with fireball in and of itself as fireball. Because no one in their right mind thinks that Fireball is is cinnamon flavored whiskey. Because no one ever calls it that. They call it Fireball. Like it might as well be Jägermeister or anything. You know, like it it's it exists in and of itself. Um. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that. But I no one that is drinking Fireball goes, "Oh, I'm a big whiskey guy. My favorite is Fireball." No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'll give you that. Fire, you're right. Fireball is in and itself separate. I, I will give you that. Yeah. Although there is a plate, the Iowa distillery down here does have a couple of nice that they have a prairie fire, which is a cinnamon whiskey. And then they have a, a Sinners and Saints, which is more of an apple type whiskey. Yeah, I mean, if I if I want other flavors with my whiskey, I'd rather have as as a cocktail than than someone else putting it into my cocktail. Or putting it into my whiskey and selling it that way because you know yes that is a whole okay, other but, but all right so i now i'm gonna dive into a terrible because i realize you're gonna school me <laughs> i see some of the stuff that you drink is beer that has infused flavors in it mm -hmm. what's the difference so if you've ever seen any of my rants on beer and infused flavors um, I, I wrote a whole article for the tailgate society. If you want to look out, Tim complains about beer volume one or no volume, which one was it anyway? Oh, his volume two. When does beer no longer, uh, taste like beer? Because to me, um, if someone is going to actually impart a hint of flavor into beer, I still want to taste the beer. And so many of those things. So many of flavored anything is meant to taste like the flavor more than it is supposed to taste like the product. And so I, I, I buy that. Right. I, I buy that. Yeah. Right. Right. And so 
I don't think whenever I've had a peanut butter whiskey or a cinnamon whiskey or a honey whiskey that I taste like I taste the whiskey. I feel like I'm tasting the flavor first and the whiskey second. For me, any flavored beer that I have, I want to I want to taste the beer first and the flavor second. Um, and they should really complement, not hide. And I I think that's probably my other thing is is. You know, it's like when someone orders a high-end whiskey Coke. Like, you should always order a real whiskey Coke. I'm sorry, you should always order a real whiskey Coke because that Coke is covering up that whiskey. Like, right. why, would I, why would I buy a $50 whiskey and then cover it up with Coke? And then everyone's like, oh, oh, you're just ordering a, a real whiskey Coke? It's like, yeah, because my point was that I just wanted, like, a boozy Coke, not that I wanted to appreciate whiskey you're not getting the nuance you're saying i should never order crown and coke I, well I, if if you consider crown high end i i also don't but I, to me it's like it's like putting steaks oh well, to me that it's might like, be put, the craziest take i've ever heard no it really isn't if you actually pay attention to whiskey people um but if if it's like putting steak sauce on a steak man if if you need to put steak sauce on a steak your steak sucks. Your steak sucks. If you have to put steak sauce on a steak, it sucks. You're not good at making steak. That's the, that's the title of the podcast episode. Your steak sucks. That's what I'm making. <laughs> I mean, talk to anyone who makes steak. If you put steak sauce on a steak, you've right. if already it's properly failed. seasoned and, and, and grilled correctly. Correct. Exactly right. You did unlike JT's picture from yesterday. Oh, I, I I didn't even see that, but that doesn't surprise me. We did an entire bitter units where the whole point was JT and his terrible takes. So uh, he also thinks ketchup is the best condiment. So you have to take anything he says with a grain of salt. Oh, <laughs> All right. Well, I think All that's right. probably a good place to end it. Uh, Chris, is there anything you want to kind of talk about? Anything? uh up and coming anything you want to plug well we uh have uh next week uh we have john miller from uh the um hawkeye report hawkeye podcast is coming on he's going to talk to us a little bit about hawkeye stuff uh give him a chance to come on and uh also talk a little bit about his journey how he's kind of uh evolved uh uh, politics wise and things like that and then of course uh we're about a month out of having jamie pollard on so i'm very excited for both of those uh pleasantly surprised by by john coming on uh you know since we are often accused of being a biased one-sided podcast as if we're we have ever uh, claimed to be neutral <laughs> anyway, right? Shape know, right? I have no problem <laughs> engaging with Hawkeye fans. I have no problem with it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, they just I'm, need to keep their delusions. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm I'm uh I'm really excited. I think that should be fun. Uh, you know, he's not someone that I've really ever interacted with, but I, you know, I've uh been aware of, noticed, and followed tangentially. So I think that one should be uh really good. Really excited for that. You bet. Sorry, I'm distracted. Caitlin's over here scrolling through Tinder. I just downloaded Tinder again. <laughs> She's currently single, by the way. So yeah, are, are we gonna are, are we gonna have to do? Uh, our, our... I don't know. There was a guy there holding a shotgun, and I think she swiped right on it. 
So we're gonna have to do our dating our dating advice 2.0 episode, yeah. I guess. Yeah. This time you get to pick my future husband. Oh boy. Okay. Wow. Well, it's clearly worked out for me picking them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I definitely on that note, uh I think that's that's I where we are. Good. By a Lamborghini? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I'm hey, trying to wrap it up. I'm sorry. I can download pictures off the internet and post them on Tinder too. <laughs> <laughs> With that said, we thank you once again for listening to yet another edition of Old Man Strength, a podcast of the Tailgate Society and brought to you by Revelton Distilling Company in Osceola, Iowa. Please go check out Rob and Christy and the gang at Ruffleton. Check out the distilling process. They're beautiful, beautiful tasting room. You can buy some merch. You can sit and relax. Every once in a while, Yahoo's like Chris and I come down and record a podcast. It is a great time. Please check us out at the tailgatesociety.com for all kinds of great podcasts, articles, general tomfoolery going on over there. You can find us at strength underscore old on Twitter. You can find Chris at SciGrad, SciDad. You can find my temporarily empty Twitter account at TimJohnsonMN <laughs> while I work through some things. Uh, Chris, anything else I'm missing? Uh, other than the fact that Revelton did announce that they're uh, now having ladies' nights on Thursdays. Ladies get 50% off cocktails from 4 to 6 p.m. That sounds like a fantastic, fantastic reason to go visit them. Absolutely. So, yes, please go check out Rob and Christy and the gang down at Rail Thunder Distillery, 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa. And with that, we will see you guys next time. I don't want to get on the bandwagon. I'll burn that wagon down and join the band. Traveling troubadours, terrorizing street corners just to try to get some supper in our hands. Now I waited all my life to get this off my chest screen, buddy murder until someone understands that it ain't about the money, the drugs, or the women. I make this noise just because I can. And we'll all join in to that original scene.